because I struggled all week, there is a pressure on preachers to preach to the holiday that's coming up. And it's Palm Sunday, and I get that. But all week long, I was like, God, I really don't feel like preaching on Palm Sunday. And, and I battled back and forth, and it was a pressure because I feel God leading me a different direction, but I felt the pressure that comes with being a preacher to recognize it's Palm Sunday. It's a pretty big Sunday. should probably preach on it. Well, when Paul called and said that he wasn't going to be able to make it, I said, okay, God, I'll teach on it. And so you'll be able to get that online later if you missed it. So that will be my Palm Sunday message. Today I want to preach something entirely different. Isaiah chapter 49 I'm going to be reading from Isaiah 49 and from 1 Corinthians 15. I apologize that we don't have these on the screens. Elena wasn't able to be here today, and uh, so I wasn't able to get it set up. Declan did the songs today. He did a great job. Isaiah 49, verses 1 and 2. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you people from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me and made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. He made me a polished arrow. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want you to remember the arrow. My pages are new, too new here. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, first importance, the top thing, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, I preached on that a couple of weeks ago, and that's not the direction I'm necessarily going. But I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. So we preached, so you believed. I want to, with the help of the Lord, minister this message. From the womb, through the tomb, propelled to make a difference. 
from the womb through the tomb, propelled to make a difference. Would you just pray with me right now, Jesus? I'm thankful for everybody that's here. And Lord, now I come against anything, any spirit, any personality, any gift of the flesh, any of that stuff that would hinder the unadulterated word of God. I'm asking you to fill me up and pour me out upon your people. I'm asking you to give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you're trying to say. I'm asking you to propel us to make a difference. I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, to to, to put your fingerprint upon this service, that this is a service we look back on in days, weeks, and months, and years to come that propelled us into a great anointing and a great authority that we have not seen nor experienced as of yet. I'm asking it in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. We are polished arrows. I like how the prophet talks about that. We are, here's here's what you have to understand, is Jesus said, you did not chose me, I chose you. I called you from your mother's womb. Now listen, some of you question whether or not God was there in your adolescent years when mom and dad were abusive, when aunts and uncles turned their back on you, when society thought you were no good. But God was with you from the time that you were born. Even before you were born into this world, he knew you and he called you by name while you were still in the womb. Don't look at your life as a catastrophe that has been fixed, but look at your life as a vessel that was chosen by God and the the moving through the years and and the, the, the shaping of your life and the things that you experienced and what you went through was not simply to destroy you, but to polish you up so that when the propelling of the spirit of an empty tomb hit your life, you flew in the direction that the Spirit designed you to fly and to touch a target that God designed you to touch and to change a life that God designed you to change. I I, I know that sometimes not a popular message because we've all experienced so much. And we look back on it and we think it was bad and we think it was negative And we think it was the enemy trying to destroy us. And I believe in all of those things from time to time is actually happening. The Bible says he seeks to destroy. He seeks to rob. He seeks to to, to cause destruction into your life. But there's a scripture that comes with all of that that flies off the pages when I read it. It is simply this. Know ye not that to him that knoweth to do good... Doeth it not to him it is sin. That's what creates something in us when we don't do what we're supposed to do. But in all of even that, when we commit all of that, it says this. All things work together for good. Don't get me wrong, it's not a license to go and sin, but God is even going to take your sins of your past and he's going to use them for the good of your future. 
Huh? There's an anointing on some of you, not because you pray more, not because you study more, but you've been through more. You've seen the fire a little bit stronger. You've experienced things a little bit heavier. Don't look back on that and say, woe is me. Look back on that and say, I'm being molded. I'm being formed. I am being sanctified and cleansed. I'm being polished. You see, we like to talk about the after effect of the tomb. We like it when we get over to Resurrection Sunday. We like it when we say, Jesus is with us. Because now we sense him. We can tangibly feel him. If you're a guest today, what you were feeling in this house was the weight of the glory of God as it invades the space of his believers. Because the Bible promised us where two or three are gathered together in his name, there am I in the midst of them. You were sensing Jesus. But let me just tell you, when you were being abused as a child, Jesus was right there. When you were experiencing rejection, Jesus was right there. When you were experiencing your addiction, Jesus was right there. Not in a condemnation atmosphere, but in an I see you, and I'm going to prepare you. And if you will allow me, I'm going to take all the junk that you've experienced. I'm going to wrap it up in my grace, and I am going to propel you into glory. I don't claim to be a hunter. I don't see the enticement of getting up before the sun comes up and going and sitting in the mush waiting for a little duck to fly by. And even if I hit it, then I got to get out of the boat to go get it. I know Paul enjoys that, but I've never seen the enticement. I've never seen the enticement of getting up in the middle of the dark and going out and crawling up into a tree and sitting on a chair, not really being able to see anything, and be cold and miserable just so I can get Bambi. And I really don't understand those that hunt with bow and arrow because you work so hard to get it all lined up and you let it go and then you don't even know if you hit it or not until you chase it down and figure it out. But I appreciate what goes into being a hunter. And I did some study this week on, especially in biblical days, what it took to become a polished arrow and what went into being a polished arrow. And as I was looking at what it means to become a polished arrow, 
I realize that several of us are in the molding stage, but some of us are getting ready to come out of it. So I, I began to look at this. You know, becoming an arrow isn't just a quick deal. I thought it was. Now, see, back then it wasn't. Today, yeah, you probably got some fiberglass arrow and that kind of stuff, and it's mass-produced, and, but I'm talking back when they didn't have that kind of thing. And, and so I began to look, and the first stage in the process of becoming an arrow was an archer would look or search for sticks and cut them off of the tree. But I want you to notice that he was looking for particular sticks. They were sticks that were not dead branches, but were not fully alive. They were not so dead that they were brittle or could snap, but that there was just enough moisture left in them so that they would be pliable so that they would be moldable. And so they would search all kinds of trees to find these sticks. And when they would break off those sticks, they had to make sure that it wasn't going to be too brittle and it wasn't going to be too alive. Because you didn't want somebody that was too alive because you would be cutting off the flow of the tree. But if you got the one just right... Can I just tell you, when you were at your lowest, God, you weren't totally dead. You weren't totally brittle. Yeah, you were away from God. You were washed up in the things of your life and in the things of this world. But some way, if you're here today, God saw a little bit of life in you. God saw an opportunity in you. You became pliable enough in the hands of the archer that he would pluck you from the tree, not to leave you desolate, not to abandon you, but to create a brand new thing in you so you can be functional again, so you can be anointed again. The, the, the neat thing about it is the archer would go to all different kinds of forests and all different kinds of trees so that he could get all kinds of different sticks. Hey, it takes all kinds. Tall, skinny, short, fat, good-looking, ugly, high IQ, low IQ, red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. I don't care what background you came from. If you're leaning into Jesus, you found the right place. It doesn't matter what you've experienced. It doesn't matter. Now listen, if it would have been a dead branch, you would crumble. And if you would have been an alive branch, the archer wouldn't be able to mold you. But when you recognize that you're just a little bit dead and just a little bit alive, you won't go into the uh, relationship with Jesus trying to prove how right you are. You're going to go into the relationship with Jesus and says, God, I am just about all done, but there's a little spark in me. If you can use me, here am I. And he reaches down and he says, you're just pliable enough. I can mold you just enough to become my arrow. (laughs) 
And the archer didn't just take the, the, the sticks and throw them away and throw them on a shelf somewhere. What he would do is if he found something from a cedar tree, from a Lebanon tree, from an ash tree, from a maple tree, oak tree, all the different trees of all the different forests, and he found those branches, here's what he would do. He would gather them together, and he would bind them together and mix them all up. There's something that drives me crazy as a pastor. I don't believe in the concept of needing to have a white church or a black church or an Asian church or a Filipino church. We just are the church mixed together by the blood of the Lamb. And the archer of archers has gathered us together and bringing all the different kinds of wood together, not to make us individuals, but to bind us together with the fall culture of the world. Oh, let me just say this. I don't believe in racism. I believe that racism has been mistermed. We have cultural bias. We have one race. It's mankind. And that race, according to the Bible, was created in the image of God which tells me that in God is the black people. In God is the white people. In God is the red people. In God is whatever color, whatever race that's there. We don't have a race problem in the world. We have a cultural problem identified as race. How can I say somebody is not or is racist when they still know that we're part of the same race? We're not animals. We're not insects. That would be a different race. That was free. I pray that we would destroy all cultural boundaries. In Jesus, in the church, in the church, there is no African, there is no European, there is no German, there is no Norwegian. We are all sons and daughters of Jesus. The sticks of the tree may look different, but when the archer binds them together, the archer begins to create a whole group of arrows that will become polished together to make a difference at the target that they are going to be aimed at. We're getting there. Preaching in front of me? Oh. The archer would then take each one of these sticks individually and he would take them and he would begin to shave off the dead bark on the outside. Listen, some of the pain and suffering that you have experienced is not just your flesh. 
It's not your stupid decisions. It's not your enemy. It's God has taken you, and he's put a knife to you, if you will, and he's trying to scrape off the dead things because here's what happens. If you shoot an arrow that still has the bark on it, you can't direct it properly. It won't go as far. It won't last as long because the dead things are attached to it, and until God can remove the dead things from your life, you're not any good to anybody because you're wandering around lost and confused. And so he takes it. Here's the problem why most of us don't like that is because when your bark is removed, the stem is exposed. And we have to become vulnerable in the presence of God. See, I believe what hinders most people in just getting lost in God is they're worried about being vulnerable to those that are watching. I mean, I've seen people get a hold of God, and sometimes it's not a pretty sight. Tears are going this way, hair's going that way, snot's going this way. And when I go to pray with those kinds of people, the first thing I say is, that's beautiful. That's what Jesus wants. You're becoming vulnerable in the presence of God. That's when he can start to form you. And then once all of that bark is done and removed, he will then take oil and put oil all over the stick that he has created with by taking the, 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 the bark off. And he would put oil on it. Can I tell you what the scriptural uh, equivalent of oil is? Is the anointing presence of the Holy Ghost. And, and he removes all of that stuff and then he applies his spirit to you. But then notice what the archer does after he gets the oil on the stick. He puts it close as possible to the heat. As close as it can get to the furnace without burning up, can I just tell you that some of you have been placed close to some heat recently. You have been placed close to the furnace. You are experiencing the pressure of the heat of your circumstances, the heat of a new journey, the heat of a decision needing to be made, the heat of a relationship that either needs to be broken off or, 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 or kindled, and the heat of a situation where you may have to say no to this and no to that so you can say yes to him. Can I tell you what the heat is designed for? It's not just an attack on your soul, but when the archer places the stick that's coated with the oil around the heat, the heat causes the oil to to penetrate the stick and absorb all the way through. My friend, the heat that you're experiencing isn't trying to destroy you. It's trying to get his Holy Spirit in you even deeper to the very core of who you are so that you become just what he wants you to become. Because once the oil is all the way through the stick, the stick will not break. The only time the stick will break after that 
is when the oil drains out. But as long as you stay in the archer's hand, he'll keep you close enough to the heat. Some of us worry because we think we're going through some things and we're dealing with some things and we're battling some things that we're not doing what God wanted us to do and we're, we're failing in, in, in his endeavor and, and we're coming up short. My friend, if you're feeling the heat, just know this. You've been coated with the Holy Ghost and he's trying to get the Holy Ghost throughout your entire being. And here's the thing that I really like. According to my research, the archer does it over and over and over and over and over again. Which means when I get a little dry, I get in the house of God and the singing starts and you see hands raised and you feel the warmth of the Spirit of God. Oh. He's not done yet, though. When he gets that done, he adorns it with feathers on the one end. Those feathers are designed for accuracy, guidance, and balance. And here's what I really like that stuck off the page when I studied this. In those days that we're talking about the polished arrow of Isaiah, in those days they used eagle's wings. Or eagle's feathers. <laughs> Let me just tell you, my friend, he wants you to soar. And when he can get his spirit all the way through you, through the heat of life, he'll throw some things on at the end of, the, uh, on the end of your life. Some of them will be colorful, but they will soar like the eagle. They will be a feather like the eagle. So when the archer pulls the bow back and shoots the arrow, it's directed exactly where it needs to go. And because the archer is a professional, he knows how to make the feather just right to where he wants to aim and just right to where he wants to go. And when he gets it all put together, that arrow's not going to wander to the left. Let me put it in King James Version. You won't won't be children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, but you will be tied together with the archer, and when he lets you go, you will go directly to the target that he has chosen. And then what he does is he cuts a notch in the other side. And he cuts that out because the tip of it is not sharp at all. And the, the master arrow maker knows that if he just tries to put an arrowhead on top of the stick, it will easily come off. And so what he does is he takes a notch out of the stick and then he melds together the arrowhead so that when the arrow is shot, there is no separation, there is no wiggle room. Can I just tell you 
that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Can I just tell you that when God adds his word, he doesn't just cover your old thought process. He doesn't just cover your philosophy. He takes some time to cut out what you think is good, what you think is bad. He removes it so that he can meld his word because his word is the thing that will last forever. His word is the thing that you can stand on in the midnight hour. His word is true and everlasting. His word does not change. The seventh thing, and I'm just about done. The seventh thing is the archer would always test and practice with the arrow. He would take the arrow and he would do test shots. Now a good archer knew how to shoot the arrow. Sometimes it was a direct shot. Sometimes he had to get more loft on it. Sometimes I've, I've read where some of those archers actually knew how to bend the shot around trees. And that arrow was tested is the word going to break off? Is the eagle's feather going to come off? Is the polish on the, on, on the shaft of the arrow, is that going to become warm, worn and or warped? Is that what I'm going to test this until I've tried? Listen, some of what you're dealing with is God is testing with you with how he's going to shoot you. Not at you, shoot you. You remember my message from the womb through the tomb propelled to make a difference. God's getting ready to use somebody as an arrow that's in his hand. He's going to take aim at somebody that you know, and he's going to shoot you in their direction, and he's going to have to test you first. He's going to have to practice with you first. Here's the reason why I don't get mad if you come and pray with somebody and you make a mess of it, because you're practicing what God has designed in you. You'll only be able to learn something from God as you practice it, as you test it. And God is doing that among us so that he then gets to the eighth. When he proves it and tries it, he doesn't go and shoot it right away. He puts it in his quiver. No, 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 you got to understand this. He puts it in his quiver not to forget about it, but so that it's ready to go when it's needed. Now, I've got to tell you something. I believe in evangelization of the world. I believe in planned evangelizing. What I mean by that is sending groups out to do whatever. I believe in all that. But can I tell you what the best evangelism tool in the world is? It's something that theologians call personal evangelism. Here's what I call it, getting shot at the right time. If God is with you, and he says he is, and if I'm listening to his voice, and I know his voice, and I understand that everywhere I go, no matter what time of day it is, that I am his, and that he is mine, and that I am an instrument in his hands, and a tool in his hands, and according to this message, a quiver or an arrow in his quiver. When I walk into a situation, God says, 
Now's the time, and he pulls you out, and he pulls the bow back, and he releases you to make a difference in that situation, and you have accomplished what God designed over the last 10, 15, 20 years for you to accomplish. Can I just, oh, oh, I'm not as bad as I thought. Can I just tell you that some of you are frustrated because you're stuck in a quiver and you think you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And you are frustrated and you are fighting God himself because I've got to do more. I've got to do this and I've got to do that and, and, and we're doing this and we're doing that and I've got to just, t- can I just tell you something? Who made you the archer? He's the archer. He's controlling all of the situations. He knows when he needs to release you in the anointing of his spirit. But here's what happens. We get restless and we think we're becoming failures because we haven't been pulled out of the quiver yet. But dare I say to you, if you try to get out of the quiver before your time, you won't be ready when it's the time to make the difference. Oh, I know. As Pastor Trout used to say, say amen or oh me, it's still the truth. Because we all do it from time to time. We hear a good message. We hear a good song. I gotta do. I gotta get. I gotta get at. No, you need to stay in the quiver. Because here's what you have to know: the quiver never leaves the archer. And so, as long as you stay as close as the quiver does to the archer, to your archer. When the time is right, he will grab a hold of you as the arrow and he will use you for his glory. Well, pastor, what does that have to do with the scripture you read? I'll tell you. He fashioned me in the womb to be a polished arrow. He gave us the gospel the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord, according to 1 Corinthians 15. And then he said at the close of that scripture, he said this, whether it was I or they, so we preach, so you believed. Here's what it has to do. The archer is God. The bow is the gospel. The arrow is us. He is the archer. He has searched all of the forests for you. He has been to the worst place that you've ever been in your life so that he could pluck you from a tree. And then he has spent the next years fashioning. And here's the thing about those arrows back then. They weren't a one shot and it's over. That because they went through this process, they could use those arrows over and over and over. So when they used that arrow and they shot 
and it affected the target that they were hitting. They would go to that target, and they would pull out the arrow. They would clean it off, and it would go back in the archer's quiver for the next time the archer needed to use it. Now, don't get me wrong. We are not designed as arrows to kill people. But we are designed as arrows to kill old nature. We may be the only thing that somebody that doesn't know Jesus will ever see or experience to be introduced to Jesus. And so we've got to be ready for God to throw us out of the quiver and shoot the arrow so that we can walk into somebody's life and destroy the old nature. Not by killing it, but by telling the old nature, there's something better. There's something greater. There's something more joyous. There's something more significant. There's something more blessed. There is something more powerful. If you will just let me take you, I have shot the arrow. Take me back to the archer and when I get you to the archer I'll introduce you to the archer and the archer will take me the arrow and put it back in the quiver but he will begin to make a new arrow that is evangelism that is what we are designed for we are designed to be polished arrows from the womb all the way, I notice I didn't say to the tomb. I ain't stopping there. I'm, I'm just as an insight. I'm going through it because it's empty. But as I hit the empty tomb, my old nature hits that empty tomb, and I am buried and died with him because when I step on the other side of the tomb, it's like God is going like this and pushing me right into a destiny. And whatever the arrow hits, it will always change the face of the target. Some of you have been changed. Some of you have been changed. A lot of you have. And we've been blessed to see a lot of you changed. I remember when Laura was baptized, she was so sweet. She crawled into the, the, the baptistry and she sat just like she's sitting now. But man, when she came up out of the waters, her face just lit up. Why? Because the arrow that connected her to Jesus, Jesus was able to change her. Over and over and over. Can I just tell you, one of the greatest things that I've seen today was Mark walking into church. He, no, listen, listen. He texted me before. He says, I don't think I'm going to make it. It's just I'm too miserable. I'm too sore. I can imagine. But here's the thing. A couple years ago, he wouldn't have fought his way to church. He wouldn't have. He would have stayed right where he was. But something's got a hold of him in the last couple of years. I remember when he was baptized. 
Oh, my Lord. He came up out of the water, and then he got out of the tank, and he wasn't done. We've got pictures. The whole group was gathered around him. He was on his face before God. God changed him. Is it been a battle since? Yeah. But notice who's in the house today that would not have been here had an arrow not struck a chord in his life. What am I trying to say? Here's what I'm trying to say. We're coming up on Easter next week. It's the easiest service to invite somebody to. We're coming up on this thing called that we're trying to create space and we're trying to grow the the footprint so we can make room for other people. Why? Because God's got a bunch of people that need to have the arrow of the church strike them in their heart so they can be drawn to Jesus themselves. Oh, my. Oh, my. Can I just tell you, I, I know there's a real heaven and I know there's a real hell, but I, I have come to the conclusion that my loved ones, I'm not worried about whether they go to heaven or hell, but I want to see them experience Jesus like I've experienced Jesus, joy overflowing, anointing soaking, saturation of his spirit, lost in the presence of God, not worried about all the junk of the world, but standing in the peace that passes all understanding knowing that he is the hope of glory, that he is my design, hope, and peace. Ah, Listen, this isn't about church building. You need to hear this. Some of you have been around the church for so long that you might have heard a message like this because they wanted to grow a church and they wanted to break numbers records. They wanted to break attendance. Listen, I'm so done with attendance. We take attendance for one purpose, so that I can address any needs that come up so that I know after you've missed a couple of times, I'll reach out to you. But it's not to create a numbers-based. Here's what it is. We've got so many people that are hurting and struggling and suffering, and if you just took five seconds, you'd think of at least three or four people right off the top of your head that you would love them to experience what we're experiencing. The growth of the church is a byproduct of the arrows that are sent forth. I invite you to stand. I'll give you hope. Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church. Jesus had 120 arrows that spent time in the upper room waiting for the promise. And in the beginning of chapter 2, the Bible says on the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all with one accord in one house. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. But then the thousands of people that were there for the Feast of Pentecost were drawn to the arrows And in verse 14 of chapter 2, Peter gets pulled from the quiver. 
and God puts him in the bow. And he stands up with the other 11. And he says, men of Judea, all you who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's just the third hour. But this is that that was prophesied by the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Let me just tell you, the quiver is pulled out. By the end of chapter 2, it says that the Lord added to the church daily such as were being saved. It's not about the church growth. It's about the saving process. It's not about growing a bunch of numbers. It's about having a bunch of people become arrows for God. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John walk up to beautiful gate. Oh, hey, Peter, this is the spirit. I'm pulling you out of my quiver. Just say this, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name. And not only that, later on in the book of Acts, Peter goes walking through town. Hey, Peter, I'm going to pull you out of the quiver right now. You're not going to say anything or do anything. You're just going to walk. And as you walk, your shadow, your shadow is going to make a difference in somebody's, can I just say, if he did it with the apostle Peter, he can do it with you when you walk through your workplace. The very shadow of the arrow can affect those around you. Oh, my God. And I'm done with this, and then we're going to rejoice. I want to read the very last verse of chapter 28 of the book of Acts. He welcomes all who came, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Do you want to know the one thing that the book of Acts doesn't have that every other book in the New Testament has? An ending. Because it's still alive today. That which happened in the book of Acts is still available if you're willing to be an arrow that God can pull from a quiver and shoot it toward a need. And when he shoots it toward a need, just get ready for the anointing power of God to penetrate that target and go right to the very core of who that person is. And they may not be able to explain it, but something in them will say, I want what they have. Oh, okay. Here's what I feel like we need to do. I need the praise team to come and line up straight across the front here. 